This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As we reported, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin has ruled out backing key funding proposals for his party's action on climate change. What the hell is wrong with Joe Manchin? He's the senator from West Virginia, a tiny little state with some of the biggest problems in the whole country. West Virginia is number 49 in infrastructure, number 48 in economy, and number 47 in healthcare. And it should come as no surprise that they rank dead last in education because they keep electing good-for-nothing Joe Manchin to office. So how is it that this truly terrible senator has the audacity to thwart President Joe Biden's domestic agenda? The answer? Joe Manchin, the uh, powerful Senate Democrat, um, who is standing in the way of climate provisions in the Democrats' budget package. Um, And it just so happens that Manchin, who opposes uh, these climate provisions, uh, is a coal millionaire. Uh, He has a family business that he founded in the 80s that his son runs now. And he makes about half a million dollars per year in profits and his holdings in in the company's private stock are are worth as much as five million dollars. So the the thrust of the article is that this is a massive conflict of interest and Joe Manchin should not be anywhere near these kinds of decisions. Joe Manchin loves coal and the coal industry. It's made him a very rich, rich man. According to Rolling Stone, Manchin may have more control over the trajectory of climate crisis than any other person on the planet. So, maybe, just maybe, that's why year after year, an entire fucking year of playing footsie and making promises, the king of the coal pulled out of negotiations to salvage key parts of Biden's domestic agenda Friday, saying that until he saw more encouraging government inflation data, he could not support a $300 billion collection of tax incentives meant to help electric utilities and other businesses transition to cleaner sources of energy, like wind and solar power. What a surprise. The coal guy doesn't want to support clean energy. You don't say. But a new report in The Intercept details the extent to which Manchin seems to have used his roles in government to prop up big coal profits, including profits that are very close to home. As an example, in, 20, in 2006, when Manchin was the governor of West Virginia, his chief of staff met with lobbyists, lobbyists advocating for them to petition for a rate increase for West Virginia's electricity that kept Manchin's company's biggest coal customer afloat. Manchin, a dino, Democrat in name only, cited gas prices and the recent hike in the cost of living as his reasons for welching on the deal, saying... We don't know where inflation is going. So he refuses to raise taxes on the rich to support the bill. Why? Because he's so fucking rich. Senator Joe Manchin says the Biden administration's Build Back Better Act is dead. I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. If you love the people of West Virginia, don't be a roadblock for progress. Point in human evolution, burning coal for power is one of the stupidest things humans still do. Coal plants are engines of destruction, not progress. Thanks to the rapid evolution of clean energy, 
There are much better, much cheaper, much cleaner ways to power our lives, which was exactly what the Bill Manchin just canceled was set to do. In the 1980s, Joe Manchin owned several gob mines. Which stands for garbage of bituminous. It is the dirtiest kind of coal you can burn. It's really a filthy product. It's full of rock play, things that should never enter an incinerator. As the New York Times uncovered, Manchin used his new position as state senator to win an air pollution waiver so the Granttown power plant near his district was allowed to burn gob, which produces high levels of the toxin sulfur dioxide. In private, Manchin then made a deal to sell his gob to Granttown in exchange for a cut of the plant's revenue. Despite the conflict of interest, Manchin then helped pass tax credits to subsidize power plants that burn gob in West Virginia. It's poisoned our water, it's poisoned our air, it's poisoned our citizens. It was the president's last remaining hope for aggressive climate action before midterm elections in November. According to the New York Times, experts who have worked for months on the climate package and a broader bill that would reduce health and electricity costs and relieve inflationary pressure by reducing the federal deficit. One sponsor of the bill said they were under no illusion that there is more to negotiate with Mr. Manchin. Why? Because there isn't. We've been going two steps forward and one step back on climate for decades now. This latest blow from Senator Manchin tonight is just the latest and serious setback. An environmental policy expert who has also been working on the deal with Manchin quipped, he just doesn't want to admit that he was going to block this bill all along. Again, why? Because he knew it would reduce his power and influence as soon as the conversation ends. After months of back and forth, Joe Manchin told Democratic leaders that he will not support the major climate provisions that are a key part of President Joe Biden's agenda. The outrage from Manchin's own party, as you can imagine, has been overwhelming. Massachusetts Democratic Senator Ed Markey, a champion of the Green New Deal, tweeted out, Rage keeps me from tears. New Mexico Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich questioned whether Manchin should be the head of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. And John Podesta, former counselor to President Barack Obama and former chief of staff to President Bill Clinton, wrote, It seems odd that Manchin would choose as his legacy to be the one man who single-handedly doomed humanity. Manchin is decimating our environment from his tiny fiefdom in West Virginia because he can't let go of coal. Not for the good of the country, not for the good of the world. Over the next few years, Biden and his administration will have to do everything in their power to address the climate crisis or risk being a huge failure and disappointment to the American people and young people in particular. Today, when asked about the collapse of his agenda, the president said he's not giving up. I am not going away. I'm going to use every power I have as president to continue to fulfill my pledge to move toward dealing with global warming. Thank you. Mr. Very President, much. is Joe Manchin negotiating in good faith? I didn't negotiate with Joe Manchin. I have no idea. But I feel the blame needs to sit firmly on the shoulders of Joe Manchin. And if I was leader Schumer, I'd pull a page from McCarthy's playbook and strip Manchin of his committee seats and kick him to the fucking curb like the GOP did with Liz Cheney. But at least Liz Cheney stands for the truth and is actually committed to helping the people in her bright red state of Wyoming. Even if they've turned their backs on her to foolishly follow Trump off a goddamn cliff. But for the fifth time this session, Republicans filibustered voting rights again. 
Right-wing Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema joined with Republicans to defeat the change. Manchin delivered his Senate floor speech while Biden held his news conference, the dueling Joes. After the vote, Senate Republicans gathered in the chamber to shake Senator Sinema's hand. Manchin obviously isn't the only greedy self-dealer in the bunch. No, he is an evil sidekick, Kristen Sinema, the centrist Democrat from Arizona who's amassing a war chest of campaign cash from GOP donors like the American Petroleum Institute, Big Pharma, and even the Fox News Corp. This witch won't show up for town halls anymore, but she'll sure as hell make an appearance at a fancy fundraiser, twirl around like an idiot schoolgirl and giggle all the way to the fucking bank. On conflict of interest, so that there is not the question of whether Joe Manchin is voting this down because of his concerns about inflation, which is what he said, or whether he's voting these things down because he has a personal stake in a coal industry, or voting things down because he thinks a tax hike down because he himself is a millionaire. I love that question so much, Katie. You're right on it in terms of the institutional problem. That's why Elizabeth Warren and I have a bill on uh, transparency and ethics reform that would prevent much of this behavior from sitting members of Congress so that we can be very sure that when we are making decisions in Congress, we are not being affected by campaign contributions and by our own interests in what our stocks do or what our family's portfolio does. We do not deserve them, but Democrats Pramila Jayapal of Washington State and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts are fighting the good fight as per usual and have recently introduced legislation into the House and Senate that would bar members of Congress and top federal officials from buying and selling stock and voting in favor of their own financial interests. They've introduced a similar bill that would do the same for the judiciary, adding a requirement that the Supreme Court create and implement a code of ethics. The Supreme Court shouldn't be given some special pass because it is the highest court. In fact, it should have a code of ethics precisely because it is the highest court. They have no code of ethics. Uh, and it's really, it's the Supreme Court of the United States. They're making judgments about the air we breathe and everything else, and we don't even know what their ethical uh, standard is. Which they've never had before, because I suppose they see themselves as above the law. But then again, I digress. The bottom line, if we give two shits about climate change, we've got to vote for it, make Manchin and cinema irrelevant. Voting for Democrats this cycle isn't so much about the people running as it was about the principles you believe in. It's about saving the world. But you don't need another lecture from me. Just fucking go blue. And because it's been such a weird week, I'm here with some weird news. The NRA Children's Museum, yeah folks, you heard it right, the NRA Children's Museum sent a special convoy of buses to Ted Cruz's door Thursday. 52 school buses with 4,368 vacant seats, one for each of the U.S. children killed by gun violence since 2020. The poetic protest is not subtle, but it's very, very effective. The empty yellow buses are draped in purple and black, 
bunting, emblazoned with bold black letters reading, Gun Violence in America, which is notable since guns now surpass cars as the number one killer of kids in the United States. Think about that. Unlike a car crash, gun violence is almost completely avoidable. But tell that to Ted Cruz, the NRA's number one charity. They've donated 750000 to Cruz lately and apparently loved how he handled the mass murder of small children in Uvalde, suggesting the school might have avoided the shooting by having fewer doors. Yeah, exactly. Damn doors got in the way. And Ted's going to do something about it. Give me a hoe if you got your funky bus fare. The only thing that keeps me from going fucking berserk on Ted Cruz is knowing that those buses are parked outside his office today. But he's just the first stop on the trail of tears. According to organizers, if you're a senator and you believe the things that are happening are okay, look out for a yellow school bus that will be outside your office. So keep your eyes peeled for a convoy of yellow buses a mile long. Mitt Romney, the former president uh, of Mexico, Vicente Fox, he said today, and I'm quoting him, he said, I'm not going to pay for that, quote, effing wall. <laughs> so if you don't uh, get an actual check from the Mexican government for eight or 10 or 12 billion dollars, whatever it will cost, how are you going to make them pay for the wall? I will. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. In a win for Joe Biden, Mexico has agreed to contribute $1.5 billion to improve infrastructure along the U.S.-Mexico border. The agreement came on the same day President Joe Biden hosted Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador for a meeting in the Oval Office last week. But it looks like it's Biden and not Trump who got Mexico to pay for it. And like a bit player in a series of Marvel movies, the overstock guy strikes again. You may recall that a while back, he was romantically linked to bona fide Russian spy Maria Butina. Butina was jailed and eventually deported back to Russia, and the overstock guy was a wreck until he got his mojo back playing pretend political operative along with his pals Sidney Powell, Rudy Colludi Giuliani, and big boy Mike Flynn. Anyway, it must have been real fun until, well, I guess the January 6th committee came knocking. That's right, the CEO of Overstock, aka Patrick Byrne, was questioned this week in connection to his role in the insurrection. It's Marvel's villains that you have to worry about, whose outrageous acts cause mayhem, destruction, and the occasional white-collar crime. So stay tuned for next week's primetime televised hearings and look for the Overstock guy lurking somewhere in the background. And now for the main event. We'd like to welcome back to Mea Culpa, Joe Trippi, heralded on the cover of The New Republic as the man who reinvented campaigning. Trippy pioneered bringing politics into the digital age and brings an added digital component to the Lincoln Project's arsenal. 
For decades, he and the Lincoln Project co-founders worked against each other in partisan fights. Trippi has worked for Democrats at every level over four decades, from Ted Kennedy, Walter Mondale, and managing Howard Dean's groundbreaking presidential campaign in 2004. Trippi has been a media and campaign strategist for dozens of Senate and gubernatorial campaigns, including Jerry Brown's 2010 comeback campaign for governor of California and Doug Jones's historic Senate victory in Alabama, where Jones became the first Democratic U.S. Senator in Alabama in 25 years. Trippi has served as an on-air political analyst for MSNBC, for NBC, for CBS Evening News, for even Fox News, as well as CNN. His weekly podcast is That Trippi Show. He joined the Lincoln Project because we have to stop seeing this as Democrat versus Republican, right versus left. This has to be all of us coming together in a pro-democracy coalition to defeat an authoritarian movement that is using every means to seize power. I agree with Joe. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Joe, we're now in the middle of the January 6th hearings. And while we can't see into the future, you, of course, is a political strategist prognosticator, do you see Trump being damaged by all the implications and possible indictments? Is there any way that Trump's hold on the GOP is fading as a result of it? Or does it even make a difference because MAGA and Trumpism is simply here to stay with or without Donald? Uh, well, one, I think MAGA and Trumpism is here to stay without him or with him. Uh, uh, I think he's lost control of that. I mean, it's just gone. It's doing its own crazy thing there, uh, fueled by him, but uh, and create, you know, and and, and launched. Um, but he's losing his grip on it. And I think, uh, at, look, I said, uh, uh, literally at the end of the first hear hearing, I tweeted, "Trump is fucked," and, and I think he is because I think in the end. Uh, There'll be you'll see you're already seeing MAGA people say, hey, uh, uh, I still like him, but I don't think I want to see him run again. Things like that. And you can see, and you know, DeSantis pulling into a lead with him uh, over him in New Hampshire. That's got to that's got to weigh heavy on on Donald. You know him. Yeah, that's got to definitely burn his ass. Yeah. That's one thing I know for certain that it is. I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, no, I just think so. I think you're seeing a the, the problem is that he you know, he's always. When I got asked, I think Politico asked in like, you know, 2015, you know, a bunch of consultants out there talking heads, how long is Trump going to have uh, sway over the party? And this was all of them were saying like three weeks or four months or something. You know, this is this back early before primaries even started. And I said, he's going to he's going to he's going to have this hold over them as long as he wants, because he gets that. Even if it's only 28, 35 percent of the party's MAGA, that's bigger than that. But he, he knows he can you 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 defeat his candidate in a primary. Good luck, because if he says everybody sit on their hands, there's going to be enough of them that sit on their hands that they're going to lose. So they're all going to have to come crawling back to him uh, to get his to, to say, you know, to, to make up to get it. To, so he doesn't t turn MAGA off even while he's sort of losing his grip on MAGA uh, at the same time. It's a very, I think he's just totally screwed. Now to get to your other question about indictments, I think it's, I think 
I think indictments are going to come. Yeah, I, I, I really do. I don't think as against Trump or as against others. Well, or both. Well, both. I think. I think both eventually. Uh, uh, you know, again, I don't. I'm not. I, you know, I don't know what the evidentiary trail is going to lead to. But if they're when they're, um, you know, the, when you look at who they now have subpoenaed and having their crosshairs, and I'm not talking just about the hearings. I'm talking about DOJ. It doesn't seem to me like there's they're they're pretty high up the chain, and there's only one fish bigger than some of the people they're talking to, and that would be that would be Donald J. Trump. Yeah, look, so I totally agree with you. I believe that. Well, let me start with the first part. Uh, I don't think Donald has the hold that he had even six months ago. I think the January 6th hearings have really shown him, even to his MAGA fans, and I'm not talking about the MAGA MAGA fools. I'm talking about just the MAGA fools, right? The ones that are just so stupid that, you know, I I watched it. I saw this one great clip of, I think it was David Pakman was interviewing this woman at one of these Trump rallies that he's still having and why he's having them nobody knows he's charging but, for them now i think man I think who he's knows starting he, to of charge course he is. for them it's like crazy yeah yeah who the hell would watch you'll see less than a tenth of the number of people show up if it's going to cost them right. but this one lady was sitting there talking about again some stupid th- conspiracy theory about the Votes got shot up to a satellite that then yeah. was sent to Italy. or the, And you sit there and you say, what satellites? Oh, the satellites that, um, that are up there. Well, those are not those type of satellites. Well, you know, they hijacked these satellites. And they have the ability. And he said, where did you see this? She goes, I read it online. So he goes, well, did you not also read online? of the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot? Do you believe in those? And, you know, she got all pissy and so on. She'll always be a Trump supporter. For what reason, I don't really know. But everybody else is basically now saying... Well, I'm Italian, and I take big pride in our Italian satellite ability. Uh, Yes, mazel to you guys, right? (laughs) Yeah. But it's not Trump who's got the hold any longer on MAGA. Yeah. Right? I believe it's Trump. It's Trumpism. And yeah. people like Ron DeSantis um, really have managed to perfect it, uh, in my in my opinion. I, I agree. With and that. I think that and I think that's why in the last poll I saw that he's actually beating Trump, which, you know, you got to say something about you know, the student teaching the teacher, right? At some point in time, the teacher needs to retire. This guy's not going to retire until such time as he's milked every last fucking penny out of these MAGA fools. That's well, certainly for sure. Yeah, well, that's what the whole thing is about. But, hey, you know, Michael, I got one question for you. Do you think that he announces or not? I mean, uh, under the no, theory I that do, he I announces to, because he thinks that'll keep the feds away. I mean, do you understand what I I'm not talking about actually yeah. running. I'm talking about a you know a, a fake out, where a formal a formal ca- a formal campaign yeah. announcement yeah. and an exploratory committee or what? Yeah, just to, uh, the answer. Yeah, yeah the answer. Uh, my opinion is no. Okay. Uh, I don't think I don't think that that happens. I think 
Uh, he continues to grift the way he's grifting without having to then report to any federal agencies. Uh-huh. He already has enough litigation going now with various different federal agencies. But, you know, one of the things that I have to give a lot of credit to is, you know, people like, um, you know, Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney. I mean, they have now subpoenaed the likes of people like Cassidy Hutchinson, like Sarah Matthews, and now Pat Cipollone. Yep. Um, you know, by the way, is that the right way? You know, it's like I have Italian friends that turn and say, why do they keep calling him Cipollone? It's Cipollone, right? You're supposed to accent the C. I don't know. I, I know that there's a restaurant somewhere out in like the Miracle Mile called like a Chip. Cipollini's. So it's spelled the same thing except for the last, you yeah. know, the last vowel. Yeah, I think uh, either. I'm, are, not, I'm not sure. Either are acceptable. They, oh, yeah. Okay, are, good. I because think. in case I'm on television, I don't want to make a mistake yeah. and offend anybody <laughs> here. Right. Because, you know, I somehow or another, I managed to offend to, to offend people. But one of the interesting things about having Cipollone come in and testify is um, as a lawyer, he is now going to be under oath And the one thing that we now know is that he played a very key role in attempting to control, if not stop, the um, overturning of the, you know, the uh, the election results and in an attempt to overturn the 2020 um, election. Right. And so he's now really in the hot seat. And I think Cassidy Hutchinson placed him. In the hot seat. You see, this is this is another argument that goes back to the original question here, uh, whether or not Donald will be indicted. And I've often said I don't believe that Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony did any significant damage to Donald, to everybody else around him. Yes, Rudy right. Colludi, Drunken Giuliani. Yes, uh, Sydney the Powell, Kraken. You know, um, you know, you got. Uh, you know, uh, Cipollone, you had Anato or Nato, you, you had a whole slew of them right. because Mark Meadows, there's documentary evidence, you know, because Cassidy's testimony was all, well, this person told me this and this person told me that, right. which is the classic definition of hearsay. Right. So, Without having fingerprints, and we all know that Donald never had emails, never text message, no, you know, there's no voice recordings, there's no written communications, everything that was done was done, you know, via like Kushner, the secretary of everything, where he would pass along shit. Um, I don't believe that this is the nail in the coffin to Donald. I think between uh, the attorney general here in New York, Tish James, uh, Fannie Willis there in Georgia, and even if Alvin Bragg does his stuff and indicts, which it's already uh, the Trump organization has already been indicted in New York, but that they ultimately hold the CEO somehow responsible. um, I think those are more likely to bring about the result that, so many people are looking for, and that's Trump's accountability. But going back to Cipollone for a second, I think he's really in the hot seat. What's your point, though? What's your theory on that? No, I, I think he is, I, because I think the only thing he'll be able to, to claim uh, privilege on is any direct conversations with, with, with Donald Trump, with the president. Um, but then, I mean, so he, 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 he's going to have to 
you know, it, other conversations he had with Ornato or whoever, um, or the Secretary of Defense or anything else that he was calling around trying to stop stuff. I mean, it, this is all stuff that, that we didn't, we may not know, but he's going to, I think, because you're right, under oath, he's going to testify truthfully uh, wherever he can. And I think there are very few things he won't be able to talk to, and that's probably, or that he'll claim privilege on, and those will probably be direct conversations with with Donald Trump himself, which gets back to your point about no fingerprints, right? If he can't speak to that and put, uh, 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 you know, and, and put Trump front and center, but it still leads to up the, you know, leads the evidentiary trail, just like um, Cassidy did, right? Even though she was, a lot of it was hearsay or somebody told me something to the effect of, uh, which how she uh, th- that phrase was pretty constant throughout her testimony. It still led to Cipollone. It still led to to these other, um, you know, to the Secret Service, to other people. Yes, except except look, Joe, at the end oh. of the day, it's not her. Her testimony was a wonderful um, storytelling of all of the events that she was a fly in the wall right. uh, on the wall uh, during. Right. Uh, none of these were really direct conversations between the party she was referring to. Um, you know, it was right. always somebody else told me, yes. or she was there as as two other people were talking about, right. and that's all fine. Remember, you right. know, hearsay um, is not applicable when you're talking about in a congressional hearing. That's only in a court right, but, of law. But, and but Michael, they're gonna the, they can now subpoena the two people who were having the conversation that she overheard. Joe, they already they right. already had the documentary right. evidence. She just told a great story she that everybody compelling. got. It, she's right. It, yes, she's compelling. Right. She's intelligent. She's was, you know she was forthright and she was right on the mark as it related to all of the documentary yep. evidence. I mean, think about think how right. well this. Right. How well this January 6th committee did in setting up the presentation. They said, oh, Miss Miss Hutchinson, um, I want you to take a look at this video clip. I want you to take a look at this text message. Look at this handwritten note and so on. So everything that they did had backup documentary evidence, which is something that I did when I testified at the House Oversight Committee, because I knew what the Trump playbook would be. And that's exactly what Jim Jordan came out and did, which is attack her credibility. But I want to move on for just a quick second and ask you this. The Republicans have shown themselves to be deeply out of touch with the country and everything that's going on uh, that's going on here lately. Abortion, guns, climate change, to just name a few. Now, there are folks saying that what the Supreme Court has already done Maybe a case of the dog, you know, catching the car. Do you think Republicans should be careful what they've wished for? Do you think that this Roe versus Wade decision and the manner to which the Republicans are treating it could actually hurt them both in the midterm and in the general? I, I think there's no question about that. I mean, you look at the all the polling that's come out in the last week, uh, uh, six, seven, eight. Even just generic Democratic versus generic Republicans in the House, uh, the, the Democrats have taken a lead there 
And the Republican generic is, has fought, which had the lead by a couple of points, has now fallen behind. You look at the, the Senate races where Fetterman in Pennsylvania is ahead of Oz by six, seven, eight points. And, uh, uh, it, you know, Warnock and, and uh, uh, Herschel Walker were in a dead heat. Warnock's ahead by five now. I mean, there's something, Pete, things, and that's across the board. There's not... Uh, uh, in in the seven like key Senate races, there is not a single Republican ahead now, which is a, a like a big difference from you know from a month ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's definitely. And by the way, all these people say like, oh my gosh, no way it's going to be a wipeout because of uh, Joe Biden's un- unfavorables, inflation, and all this stuff. Yeah, okay, well inflation's hot right now. Biden's numbers are in the you know, in the in the dumpster. And guess what? Um, uh, Fetterman's ahead. Warnock's ahead. I mean, you know, we got four months left, but I, I think it's clear that it's it, that is people and it's the, the double whammy of the MAGA extremists that, that they have nominated in a lot of these races. That double whammy with what the court is doing on guns, uh, on row, um, has made people, I think, understand that this isn't just a referendum on Joe Biden. It's a choice between mega, the mega extreme uh, uh, and the Democrat in that race. In other words, if, it, if it's an extreme Democrat, well, OK, it's going to be a, you know, a, a big fight. But it, but if, if it's a, a Tim Ryan, um, a, a Fetterman, uh, I mean, the, the Democrats, I think, have nominated uh, uh, a lot of uh, candidates that I think are are nowhere near off the rails the way the Repu- the, the, the mega extreme candidates. That they, I mean, so you saw like Liz Cheney's the debate for Liz Cheney uh, for, mm-hmm. for the Wyoming primary where all the other candidates, all mega couldn't complete a sentence, um, you know, and she's likely to go down. Uh, uh, unless a bunch of Democrats switch parties and, and vote for, her. but wh- why? That's how crazy off the charts MAGA Trump took the party, and now he—I'm I, I, with you. He's lost control of that. He's losing his hold on them. They're moving on to other people like DeSantis, um, and and you know, and that's a—I uh, think I'm glad to see. Trump loses hold on them, but uh, DeSantis is just as big a threat, if not, if not more so, because he's he's he he's smarter about it than Trump was. Yeah, and but look, one thing that I have said on this podcast, on television, anywhere, and to anybody that would listen to me, I'm always I, look. I've been a Democrat my whole life, and it's something that a lot of people don't know, and I believe in. Most of the things, not not everything, but I believe in many of the of the stances. One of the problems that I've always found with this Democratic Party is that there's terrible messaging coming yeah. from the DNC, coming from the yeah. top. Jamie yeah. Harrison, I, I call him out by name all the time. They, what's interesting is what he could not do for the party, what the party could not do for itself. The Republicans handed handed to the Democrats. I mean, the lack of public confidence in the Supreme Court should now be the battle cry because not only does it affect every single woman 
right? But 62% of Americans disapprove of what just came out of the Supreme Court. That should be the right. battle cry. Right. And, you know, Michael, that's why I come on your podcast. That's why I joined the Lincoln Project, because you, Democrats have to learn you got to punch back and punch back hard against this stuff and repeat it over and over and over again, like the Republicans, like Trump did with Build That Wall. Is that instead, the, the party still thinks, or too many, I think, in the party still think, you know, you you say it once and everybody gets it and you say it and, and they, they, they're not willing to throw the hard punches that you and what people in the Lincoln Project have been doing. We've got to. That's why as a Democrat, that's why I joined joined them. And, you know, and uh, and why I, I I think you're right about so much of how we have to fight this. You know, it's funny. There's like two adages. One, of course, would be perfect for the Democrats, and the other, of course, perfect for the Republicans. The one I say about the Republicans, which Trump uh, is really uh, partially responsible for, and that's like the old Stalinistic approach to news and to getting your message out, which is to repeat the lie over and over and over and over again until the lie becomes the truth, right? Right. Whereas the Democrats... Go something that I remember my grandma, my grandpa used to say to me all the time. Once to the wise is sufficient. Well, that's not really working because while some people will say, hey, yeah, that makes perfect sense. um, It's the repetition, like the McDonald's jingle, how everybody still remembers that from 50 years ago. Right. I mean, it's you know, it's it is what it is. And it's the repetition of the lie said so often by so many people that the lie becomes the truth. Yeah, well, that that's what I've been saying uh, uh, over and over again, is that the 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 uh, repeated lie will defeat the unrepeated truth every day, <laughs> every yes. single day. And, tw- and, twice, and, and exactly, twice on Sunday. And that's exactly what's going on. The Democrats say, you know, we'll, we'll tell the truth uh, while the lies been repeated 15 times by the time they start chasing the lie it's it, it, they've got another they've created another one the outrage machine uh uh it you know creates another lie and we're chasing that no we've got to to hit back hard immediately uh and repeat the charge immediately and show the contrast this is already trend. look everybody goes into these midterms thinking the conventional wisdom the pundits all of them think it's a referendum on the president and the party in power that's how it, 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 it everybody perceives it that's not happening if that were happening there wouldn't be a single democrat in char- in, in, ahead in any of these senate races this is this is be a choice election it's a choice between two parties the MAGA extremes taken over the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, the, you know, that's doing the work, trying to get things done. Uh, it, it, anyway, it's a choice between those two uh, candidates in a specific race. It's not going to be a referendum on Biden. That I can guarantee you. And that's why I think um, as Trump loses his hold on MAGA uh, and they continue to nominate uh, because he's weak, you know, weak, pathetic. I think Mark Leibovich called them p- p- the most pathetic men in America in his piece he wrote for the Atlantic yesterday. Um, 
they are going to they are going to lose because they have nominated crazy QAnon crazy MAGA crazies and the pe- people are and the court has magnified that by saying yeah there's replications for doing this guess guess what we're going to overturn Roe we're going to uh, you, you know guns the whole thing okay so Joe look. You and I, Democrats, were both optimistic, especially now after Roe v. Wade, after some of the other stuff that um, had been going on. Um, We're optimistic about the midterms and for all the reasons that we just said. Okay, in a recent article, you're quoted as saying, and I'm going to quote this now, people are going to be stunned when they see some of the nominees, they meaning the Republicans, put out there. I've been following some of these races, and I agree with you. You're absolutely right. There are a whole lot of unqualified fucking wackos on the Republican tickets. However, do Republican voters even care about qualifications anymore? And do you think that the GOP base is fired up enough to come out in droves? Or do you think that the Democrats actually have a shot in November? Well, I mean, for the first time, we're seeing again in polling the energy. Uh, de- more Democrats are more interested in the election in this election than Republicans. That's the first time, only in the last few weeks, that that's happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, when I was saying that the the, 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 the these candidates that they're nominating are off the boards, um, I just think that it's 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 clear, as you pointed out uh, uh, with my quote, that. This is a a growing problem for the party for writ large. But your bigger point about the energy, your question about the energy of yes. the party, um, the Democrats for the first time were showing um, more interest in the election in the November election than Republicans. It's ninety two percent of Democrats are very very interested in the upcoming November elections. That's a massive number for Democrats, and it's the first time this year where Republicans weren't more interested than Democrats. So, so that's definitely Roe v. I mean, I think that's definitely the court um, that's caused that energy. But we, so when you take the when you take the energy that we're seeing on uh, with Democrats and these nominees that uh, from from the Republican Party that are not qualified, that are bona fide nutcases in many cases. Um, I think it's that's what I'm saying. That's the choice election that's getting put out there It that, that that's going to make it impossible for this to become a referendum election on Biden and Democrats writ large. And let me give you an example. 2010, we saw both. It was a referendum on Obama. Democrats lost a lot of seats, uh, right? But they held uh, on to a bunch of Senate seats because it was a choice election in Delaware where the O'Donnell, the I'm not a witch candidate. I don't know if you remember her, Mike. Mm-hmm. I remember a, that. Yep. You had a, 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 in Missouri, the guy saying that uh, rape was legitimate, that there was such a thing as legitimate rape. Um, in uh, Sharon Angle in Nevada, uh, crazy people, and they lost every single one of those seats and blew, and, and blew up in places that that no one thought. 
The difference this year is they're doing that everywhere. Every single candidate that they're nominating is most of them unqualified, certifiably crazy, off the charts extreme. And so I think that's what you're going to see more of the the choice election parts that happened in 2010 than that referendum piece of the 2010 election. I don't think I don't think there's going to be much of a referendum. It's going to be if there is, it's going to be on MAGA and the MAGA extremists that have taken over the Republican Party. And to get to your point, you're right. You asked the question, too. Does anybody out there in the Republican Party care that they're not qualified or that they're crazy? Uh, And I would say two things. Uh, You're 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 right about most of them. Uh, But there still is a group of Republicans, suburban Republican women, younger Republicans um, who uh, are are uh, persuadable. um, If the Democrats not, you know, not not a a flame throwing uh, lefty crazy. Uh, Right. And I think that so we can get those. But but more important. The other thing that's happened uh, since these hearings is that independents now, like 60 by like 67 percent, say that the, the, you know, repeatedly on a bunch of different measures, which parties morally bankrupt, which parties corrupt, which parties extreme. It's independents consistently now are viewing the Republicans mm-hmm. as the most of, of all those. I mean, that, that doesn't mean they don't think that Democrats have, you know, moral culpability. I'm just saying that they, they, but when asked, it's like 65, 35. So I think independents are going to be moving away from these people. Well, let's hope so. But, you know, just to give you a quick example for my listeners, uh, Amy Wang from the Washington Post put out an article, and I just found it was fascinating. It was entitled Five GOP Candidates. Get those. Five GOP candidates in Michigan are ineligible after fraud. I mean, these five individuals, one of them was, a, was I think, the former head of the um, Detroit Police Department. This guy, James Craig. Then you had this businessman, Perry Johnson. Uh, you had, uh, who'd you have here? You had Donna Bradenburg, yep. Michael Brown, and Michael Markey. Now, it's amazing because what they found, and this, I just, again, I just find it incredible. They found something like 68,000 um, signatures were ineligible that for whatever reason that it was based on fraud or what have you. There were 36 people who went out there, circulated these um, election petitions, but then the Bureau came back and they estimated that they submitted at least 68,000 invalid signatures. I mean, this isn't just balls, man. This is like fucking chutzpah to the nth degree. I mean, you got guys here who are, it's like, why should I go around and see whether or not that they actually want me? I'm going to follow the process. They're not following the process. Fuck it. Let me go into the, into the telephone book, come up with a couple of people's yeah. names who are in there, and then just signing away. And this is, again, what oh, yeah. Trumpism has taught everybody. It's how to bend the rules. But I want to touch on something for a second, sure. Joe, that you brought up, right? And that's the effect of the young voters, the Gen yeah. uh, X, Y, and Zs. What effect do you think that they will have on the upcoming elections? Now, I've had a handful of these young uh, Gen X, Y, Zers uh, on this podcast. 
And they are up in arms. They're up in arms over watching Roe v. Wade, a 50-year you know, law that they never thought that they were going to have to contend with. But at the same time, and this again, you know, um, at the same time, they're also just starting their lives professionally. They're dealing with this $6 per gallon gas. They're watching as fucking travesties like Highland Park, which is, you know, my college roommate is from there. Friends of mine are from there. This atrocity that took place with this with this kid. We're now even seeing what happened in Japan, right, with, um, you know, with Shinzo Abe, the prime minister. We're watching the economy sort of fluctuate, you know, watching the stock market tank. Cryptocurrency is in the toilet. You, you know, then you have... Everybody blaming supply chain. Prior to blaming supply chain, what did everybody blame? It was all COVID, COVID, COVID. I can't get you. I can't get a judge's decision for nine, 10 months. Oh, COVID, right? All of a sudden, COVID you know, right. has made everybody ineffective. But now it's not COVID anymore. Now it's supply chain. Right. How are these Gen X, Y, and Zers going to accept this, which is our current state, in contrast to things like Roe v. Wade, gun, you know, gun safety laws, the climate. Oh, look, I think that the, the question wasn't where who they would vote for. I think the question is, would they vote? Um, right. You bring up the right. Re- I mean, do, do you you know, you're so disgusted with with the your sort of economic status, your student loans, all that stuff that you'd say, screw it. Um, uh, and, and and traditionally. You know the younger voters are not the, the the most likely to turn out. I I think that's one of the big sea changes when you see the ninety two percent of Democrats are now energized and 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 saying they're focused on this election. One of the big lifts that you see is with younger voters. I think it it it, it, it sort of made the stakes clear to them that you you, you know um, uh, abortion, uh, you know the right to choose, uh, guns climate change all the all it, on all these the republicans are nowhere or you, you know off the charts in the wrong direction for these voters i think it's it's creating with them enough of a yeah i got to vote which i think was the biggest part of the problem if they vote i think they because of those issues mm-hmm. of uh, as you point out, yes, they're young in, in, in their careers are just starting out. But I think, that, you know, the inflation, whether it's transitory or not, is going to be, you know, is something that that is not as uh, big a threat as climate change. I mean, in terms of the long term of their lives, the, the long arc of the things that they actually care about, um, I think that that's overpowering, particularly with the court's action. So I think in the end, we're going to see, and I, by the way, I w- I've talked to the s- same thing with you, talk to them. And it's like, why should I, you Democrats, do you, why haven't you done things? You know, you should have stopped this. Uh, and I think um, the other thing that's becoming clearer to everybody, it, which is, I think, again, why Democrats are taking the lead in these Senate races is, hey, we don't there's there's not enough votes to do anything to do a whole lot. If you 
if you actually care about climate change, care about a woman's right to choose, care about uh, what's happening with gun violence in the country, you know the Republicans aren't going to do anything. The only chance we got is to elect more Democrats to the Senate. And I think people are, of all ages are starting to take that to heart, including uh, I think it, it's energized younger voters in particular. Yeah, every young, especially the young female voters. Now, again, right. I live in New York, you know, so obviously I know where the sway is going. But nevertheless, young female voters are furious over the road decision. Not so much because they're pro-abortion, or right, uh, or that they're pro-life. It, neither. Right. They don't even actually discuss their their point on it. It's simply the right over your own body. It's the right to keep government out of your bedroom. That's what they keep saying to me. You know, if some of them are very, very Catholic and they would not have an abortion, you know, at least that's their, you know, that's their stance that they don't believe in it. And that's great. Right. But they're still disgusted at the Supreme Court to mandate it. And the one thing that I constantly hear, which is the common theme, is under a Republican House, um, under a Republican White House, we will see Gilead. We will see the Handsmaid Tales because that's the way that these three newly elected Supreme Court judges are going. And we also know something that's of great concern to Gen uh, X, Y, and Zers is that once they finish destroying Roe v. Wade, next they're going to civil liberty issues. Yeah. And Clarence Thomas has talked about it. So has Alito. So has Gorsuch. I mean, they have all talked yeah. about it they're, at length. And it's just the beginning. Yeah, no, they are. And, and, you know, you already had Mike Pence talk about, say that he's, you know, they get in power, they want to do a national ban on, a, on abortion. But I think in the end, and, and Justice Thomas's uh, uh, concurring opinion, uh, which outlined, as you said, all the other privacy rights uh, that he he thinks we should uh, end uh, or or be reviewed by the court, uh, it, it is just I, I just think it says exactly where where they want to take this, and exactly why I think younger. Uh, Voters in particular are energized to say, "Now we uh, no no more of this stuff." Um, uh, so we'll we'll see. But I, I'm actually pretty optimistic about where things are headed right now in terms of this election. I think there's going to be a high turnout. I think um, there there's a bunch of things that had to happen. We've got a in a, a midterm is always about turnout. So I, I and I was worried because the Republicans had much more interest than, than Democrats had. That's changed. Sea change big time towards the Democrats. They they had to nominate crazy people. They are, and they're going to continue to do that. Um, it, we'll see all the way through the remaining primaries. Uh, there's nothing that's going to change that, that at all. Uh, I think, um, and I think um, y- young people uh, had to be energized in a way ar- a- a- around these issues that they would, uh, that they'll vote. Because uh, that's going to be a key part of the turnout differential. I think that's starting to happen. We have to keep fighting there. I've, I've said a couple. I think I tweeted yesterday or the day before. Look, you know, this is the, the red wave is going to turn out to be just as real as the red mirage. Um, 
And uh, and if we but but we all have to keep doing the work and they have to keep doing the crazy. And I think if we continue to do that, we're going to we'll succeed in in gain seats in the Senate and and hold on to the House in in, uh, uh, 2022. And I think that that's the the thing that has to happen because of what you pointed out, the games that they're going to play. To, to take 2024 that with or without Trump, they're going to they're going to try to take that election, um, change the rules, do, you know, uh, suppress votes. I mean, do everything they can because they know they can't win in a fair fight. They know that. OK, so look, but Joe, it goes right back to what I said about Jamie Harris and the DNC about putting out the proper messages, because. Democrats actually have the right messages. I'm going to give you an example. Rolling Stone magazine um, put out an article uh, a couple days ago. Um, Actually, it was about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was written by a young lady by the name of Hannah Murphy Winter. And it's entitled, and I, I would certainly suggest to all of my listeners that you look this Rolling Stones article up. It's entitled, With Roe Falling... LGBTQ families fear they'll be the Supreme Court's next target. All right. And they happen to be right. You know, one of the things that we already see is the conversation that's taking place right now about um, Obergefell versus Hodges, which is the Supreme Court decision, you know, granting same-sex marriage. Um, This is going to fall. And we know it's going to fall. Why do we put our head in the sand? And then just wait for the shit to happen. And then, oh, we're all fucking outraged. Let's go march on the Supreme Court. Let's just put out the phone numbers and the addresses of all of the Supreme Court judges. Let's shut down fucking Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and block off every single park and what have you. That doesn't do shit. We need to be proactive. We need to be out there chanting right fucking now, turning around saying... If you don't do something, if you are too fucking lazy to get out there and vote and vote Democrat, vote in order so that Joe Biden has the ability to put more Supreme Court judges on the bench to negate these three assholes. What are we supposed to do? Always, always be always be reactive instead of proactive. No, that's exactly why I said we do the work. We got to do that work. And you're right about the messaging. The Democrats have got to say got to you this is about if you want action to take action on climate change if you want to take action to protect a woman's right to choose if you want to take action to stop what they're going to do to gay rights gay marriage uh you know and and a host of other how about how about interracial marriage well i wonder how clarence thomas is going to feel about that one unless he wants to get rid of her anyway yeah (laughs) Yeah, right. no, wouldn't that be I, some way? That's some way to get rid of your wife. It's like, well, you know, honey, I'm terribly sorry, but I voted, you know, that, you know, interracial marriage is not constitutionally permitted. Yeah, no, it, it'll be. That's what I'm saying. This is insane. It, 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 and you're right. It's handmade tale. But the, the, the thing I think is here that like, look, even the 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 ruling that they did on uh on the uh, uh, that took away the EPA's ability to regulate um, uh, fish and wildlife. Yeah, no, uh, they just did this where they uh, uh, it, it, it was. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember 
what what it was, but it, it, it impacted the EPA's ability to regulate emissions um, uh, to stop global warming. Um, oh. They just they just did that one. But no one that one sort of I can't even, you know, remember what it was because they're now doing this, dismantling this stuff so quickly with these rulings. And so many of the ones like Roe have taken, you know, have, have held you know, up in the spotlight and what they did with guns. And we're not even see, the the American people are not even aware at the destruction this court is doing to and particularly young people to their to the battle for on climate change and, and, and a whole bunch of other uh, uh, things. It's all, about, it's all about your rights. Yeah. It's all about your rights. Well, let me ask you this then, Joe. Sure. Because there are dangerous, really dangerous newcomers on the right. In particular, you know, you have this guy, J.D. Vance in Ohio, who stands out. He stands out because he's smart. But he's also that cruel kind of populist who lies about fucking everything. And we just came off of four years of that kind of guy, right? Now, there's clearly a split in the GOP between, say, people like Liz Cheney, right, who are more nuts and bolts administrative Republicans. And then you have the white Christian nationalists and populists like Vance, like DeSantis, like Greg Abbott. So who's winning that fight? And do you think? How do you think it'll end up hurting them in November, or actually helping them? Well, no. I mean, I think it's the white nationalist uh, evangelical, uh, the Santuses, and the, those people are, are are clearly winning. And it's been, like I said, fueled by Trump, uh, activated by him, given you know, you know, you know uh, uh, and it's now maybe careening out of control of his control. Um, in a way that's benefiting DeSantis and others. Uh, but I think in the end, that that is so extreme that independents and a bunch, like I said, suburban GOP women are gonna are not gonna uh, be there in November 22 for them. And that that's why I think this will be a, a choice election in which Democrats fear far better than than um, what the pundits think. All right, then let me ask you this, because you, of course, being the political strategist, right, worked on gubernatorial campaigns, presidential campaigns, and so on. How do you see the big ticket races, like um, the governor's race, for example, in Georgia, between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp? What about, you know, um, I mean, this is just the stupidest one, Herschel Walker versus Warnock? Because... Look, we know things are still playing out in Georgia, like the right. grand jury looking at Trump and Lindsey Graham, Rudy Colludi, et cetera. But a lot hangs in the balance in Georgia. How do you think, how will Trump influence that race and other swing states like Pennsylvania, um, where Trump endorsed, again, another unqualified, just unqualified candidate, Dr. Oz, and, and this guy Mastriano, um, who even Republicans have issues with. How do you think this plays out? I, well, on the governor's races, I think it's very fascinating. If you, if you look at what's happened in the last week, who are the governors that were able to step out and really pound away on Roe? And they were uh, Democratic governors where there was a Democratic legislature. Uh, you know, Illinois, Newsom in California, Hochul in New York, um, uh, Pritzker in, 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 in Illinois. Um, 
What I think, and that's what people paid attention to, what I think is interesting, Michael, is what about Pennsylvania? Let's like look at this mm-hmm. for a second. You got a very conservative legislature, a legislature that wanted to not count the votes. Uh, and Mastriano is now, uh, you know, pro, you know, anti row uh, MAGA, uh, the, the only defense, because, you know, the legislature is going to pass some draconian uh, uh, both, you, you know, uh, uh, ban on on choice. Um, the only line of defense is whether a, a governor could veto it. In other words, the, all of a sudden, I think the governor's races in these what you just cited, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Evers, uh, Michigan, um, where you have these Georgia, where you have um, Republican legislatures that are. And by the way, we're already seeing in Republican legislatures where they have the governor and the, the legislature doing things like um, complete bans, you, you know, trying to ban whether you can uh, follow somebody across state lines even and, and hold them accountable. So I think that it, this is going to put a big um, focus on these governor's races in a way that those same women we talked about, the suburban women, younger voters uh, that might have not been paying much attention to them actually have it, it puts the, the the governor's races in many of these states may be as important or even more important than the Senate races that we've talked about. Um, and so I think for that reason, you're going to see higher turnout and uh, more mm-hmm. focus. And and again, it'd be one thing if it was like a Tom Ridge that they had nominated in Pennsylvania you might have a, a you know Shapiro and him having you know de- debates about where you know about about choice in a way, uh, but you got Mastriano. He's going to be all the way over to the crazy extreme, probably no exceptions. You know, I mean, it, that's what I'm saying. So the <clears throat> issues will be in focus in these governors' races in a way where, yeah, either I'm going to veto that bill. I'm going to stop when they come to attack gay gay rights, gay marriage, uh, your right to choose uh, or, you know, uh, and voting rights and everything else. The governor's races are going to become even more important. And in some of these states could be more important than the Senate race. Right. And, you know, I've read that, you know, people believe that the Illinois governor's race is going to be the the test. Right. It'll be the litmus test uh, for the post um row abortion politics, right? And then I know that they have uh, J.B. Pritzker, right, is is running on the Republican side, but S- Trump then backed um, the state senator, and I forget what his name is, to go after um, Pritzker's seat and so on. Why? Well, simply because Pritzker came out and made a statement that, you know, he sees between 10 to 20,000 women crossing state lines to exercise their reproductive rights, right? Um, and that um, he believes that people have the right to decide, and that right has been taken away. And then he went so far as to say that we're going to guarantee it in the state of Illinois, which right. is a very... I hate to say it, it's a very democratic statement. And of course, that must have obviously annoyed, you know, Trump. But this is the problem, 
right? What they're doing is they're trying to stack everything underneath, which would basically nullify, right, any any presidential action that could potentially take place. And if, in fact, that you have all Republicans along these lower level, whether it's mayor, uh, whether it's governors, um, whether it's going to be even the the secretaries of state, you know, if you have them all Republicans, regardless of what the Democrat wants to do, uh, it's going to be virtually impossible. But you know what, Joe? I have a bonus question for you on on the last on the last question. Okay. Carrie Lakes versus um, Corinne Taylor Robson in Arizona, because their their primary is coming up in early August, right? Now, Ducey just right. endorsed uh, Taylor Robson. Uh, and Lake is, of course, 100 percent backed by Trump. Who wins that? I think I don't know. But I think that's the, the, the story, because it will tell you how how strong a hold Trump has on the party. Right. Versus um, it. And it also tells you something to Michael in that. OK, one of them's going to win. One of them's going to lose. And Trump's not going to like it. If he if he loses, uh, and so well, who, the, and who cares? Who cares whether who gives a shit? Who gives a shit whether he likes it or not? So if he doesn't like it, he'll instead of eating three Marilardo burgers, he'll have five to suppress his sadness, right? But who wins in this in this case? The MAGA in your opinion, people, right now, the MAGA people in Arizona. Uh, I don't think Ducey pulls that out, or but I, yeah, I I think Carrie Lake. But wow. I, I could be wrong. Wow. I'm not good at, at at calling Republican primaries right now. Like, I, I think. Listen, that's, well, that's OK. That, yeah. That's all right. It's just it was just the bonus question. Yeah. You know, you already got 100. So don't worry. You know, you, you got the A. Uh, you know, whether you're going to get the extra bonus points, that's another story. Well, let me then ask you this. Right. With democracy itself on the ballot, do you think it's too existential for voters to wrap their heads around Uh, Or do you think that the public at large understands right now what's at stake? And based on what you know right now, do you think the democracy will hold? Or do you think that we're headed in the way of authoritarian countries like Hungary, Poland, and now Brazil? Because it's what Fox News and Tucker Carlson are legitimately pushing for. I mean, my question then is, do you think Americans understand do you think Americans understand the nuances of what will happen if, in fact, we lose in November? Yeah, you know, I think so. And I think the hearings have a lot to do with that, that you've seen an increase of where democracy is now or a concern about uh, failing democracy is now the number one concern that, with, of voters. In other words, it's, it's gone up in hierarchy over inflation and some of these other things recently, not way up there yet. I mean, but it's just edging everything out. But it's clear it's because the hearings are, are, have gotten people to focus on how close we've come. And also, I think, has sort of raised, made it clear that it's an ongoing threat. So I think that, and that's another reason why I think this will not be a referendum on Biden, but more of that kind of choice. Are you do you want um, to become hungry and uh, Tucker Carlson's or ban orgasm uh, or do you, you know, I mean, that it's, it's literally 
a love fest between Orban and, and Tucker. Uh, when you see Tucker gushing about that's that's the future he wants for America. I think that's becoming uh, uh, a it's it's ra- it's rising in people's in, in a way, by the way, two or three months ago, I was with you. I kept going like, oh, man, we got to convince people that it's, a you know, it's democracy versus authoritarianism. And you'd say that to people and they just look at you with a blank stare and go like, no, nah, that can't happen here. It's this is America. Uh, this is even after, well, January 6th couldn't happen here, but it did. Um, and I think, people you know, are completely mistaken when they believe that democracy is a right. Right. You know, here yeah. in America, it is not. It's, it's not. a privilege. It is. And it's, I have been under threat like it's never been under threat before. And there's only one way there, there isn't. There are not two pro-democracy parties in America anymore. I'm sorry to say that. I, I, I believe that we need two parties in America, functioning pro-democracy parties in America. Uh, and dutifully went out and, and fought over the ideas about how to build a stronger democracy against uh, uh, Republicans, many of them in the Lincoln Project. I joined them because it's not about that anymore. It's about yes. and fighting for our democracy, putting politics aside, the partisanship aside, and putting our country first and defending it. But before we go there, look, you, you know, you, you make us say that the January 6th hearings you think are going to be some sort of catalyst to change by people, whether it's the independents, obviously the Democrats uh, who are already pro-Democrat uh, are going to be voting down the, you know, down the line. Uh, it's some of the Republicans, independents right. and so on, or as Trump used to call them, the silent majority. I myself, I told, I have been screaming from the rooftops. I use this podcast in order to try to enlighten people on just how fragile our democracy is. We have over 28 million downloads so far that we talk about how Trump and this, this GOP, the current GOP, is looking to destroy our country. I talked about it in my book that came, became number one New York Times bestseller for a month. My next book that's going to come out, Department of Injustice, goes deeper into it on how we are losing our country to these authoritarian fools, right? I talk about it on television, on the countless uh, programs mm-hmm. in the news, yep. and yet... And yet I still bump into people, educated, wealthy, finance guys who turn around and say the stupidest, most ridiculous things that legitimately came out of Tucker Carlson's ass the night before on television. And I just don't know what more like, look, and this goes into my last question, because they're not seeing you. They're not. They are so stuck in their own bubble, Michael. And you know this better than anybody. You know what that bubble's capable of just of doing if you live in that bubble you you may not even know that the hearings are going on and that's why i'm saving this final question for you know um as the hour of course is you know coming to the end i saved this last question for you because you started to touch on it um i appreciate everything that lincoln project does democracy now all of the various midas touch all of these various organizations that get out there and even if you only touch one person, two people, right. 10 people, 20, it's a start. We don't have a lot of time, so we need to ramp that shit up in something fierce, right? Which is why I keep calling on Jamie Harrison to maybe bring us all together so we could sit there and message this thing right and sort of 
put the fire under people's asses. But a year ago, you joined the Lincoln Project. Yeah. And there's a quote here. To build a pro-democracy coalition, proving that the Lincoln Project is not just for disappointed Republicans anymore. But a year into it, my question to you, how would you say it's going? How effective has the Lincoln Project been overall? And what are the current goals of the Lincoln Project? Obviously, it's the election. But what else? Because personally, I hope it's getting the Democratic messaging straightened out. Because that is, a, you've heard me ramble now for the last hour, that's my biggest gripe. It's, it's my biggest gripe with the Democrats well, and with our DNC. And it's our pathetic messaging. Well, I mean, one is we talked about this on the show before. We started uh, uh, jointheunion.us uh, to get people from all, you know, not just former Republicans, but Democrats, independents. If you want to take action, you join the union to preserve the union, our republic and our democracy. Thousands, tens of thousands of Americans have joined that across the country and are participating and and working today because the Lincoln Project was able to start that. Secondly, I think um, I think um, we demonstrate to Democrats the messaging. I mean, that the, the one thing that that we've seen repeatedly is when we do a hard hitting uh, uh, response or proactive hit. Uh, that defines where Democrats or where pro-democracy uh, uh, messaging should be, often Democratic candidates will pick, you, you'll start to see it getting picked up, right? I mean, it's, it, 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 it's sort of leading by doing. And I think, and also I think the, the one thing is, look, people are, I think, they want, they want to see people who will stand up and fight. I think that's one of the pushes against Democrats right now is, again, we talked about it. How, how you, know, you know, you guys want to keep fighting fair with people who are, you know, hit, you know, punching hard and keep punching repetitively. I think the Lincoln Project is kind of leads, leans into punching back and punching back hard and showing Democrats and pro-democracy, again, regardless of party, where we need to go. And and what the threat is. I mean, I, the one thing uh, from the very beginning, the Lincoln Project, I thought, and one of the reasons I joined them was they were so effective at staying on Trump and and laying out the threat that he represented to the country and why we needed to stop him. And I think that's ongoing, even as the threat now morphs into DeSantis and and mega extremists that 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 may not be right. interested in Trump anymore. That's ongoing. We we sure. we are we have target races that we've talked about that we you know that we we are in these in these Senate races and governors races and secretary of state races that you point out are really important. Um, the Lincoln Project is very active. Uh, we're going to engage on them as close as uh, obviously as we get closer. And we've already put out a list of our targets. So. We're, we're so Joe, let, let me so let me so let me say this because uh, you know we we've now had over twenty eight million downloads on this yeah. podcast. We're a top fifty Apple podcast on every on yeah, every. Right. No, it doesn't matter where you get it. I mean, this podcast is really doing super super well. And I'm asking all of my listeners to please go to Lincoln Project to join because when you said to me, you know, ten thousand people came and joined and joined. 
Not enough. Well, yeah, yeah. Not enough got, by a long shot. Yeah, no, Not gotta, enough by a long shot. We gotta grow. We it. need ten. We need ten million yes, right away. Exactly. We need a hundred million. And what bothers me to no to no end. You go on to Twitter, you go on to social media, you see, and God bless her, I give her all the credit in the world. Kim Kardashian has over 100 million followers. Yeah. If, and and what, what she, what's she selling? You know, uh, skims, you know, uh, to, which <laughs> yeah. is, you know, uh, uh, an undergarment, yeah. or, you know, they're selling lipstick or something. This is our fucking democracy. Yeah. Where yeah. there should be well in excess no, of a hundred million, it, and that way, when you put out when you put out a statement, when you put out a request, hey, let's go before the Supreme Court. That's what I'm trying to do with mea culpa. Right. I'm trying to be able where I can say, okay, we're having a mea culpa movement meeting in front of the Supreme Court, and we get a million people showing up, not ten thousand, not fifty thousand. We get a million, like the Million Man March. We make our voices heard because that's the only language these fucking politicians yeah. understand that if you don't do the right thing you're oh, out no and that's why again it's join the union.us we need more people to join michael you're completely accurate you're right we've got you know it, it's great that that it's not ten thousand it's tens and tens of thousands lots of people we're we're, we're growing every day but we got to grow that to be 10 million people because that's how we'll crush them. And then a hundred, and, and then a hundred million. million. Yes. At, and at then, time. and then you end up, then we end up being able to succeed where Absolutely. we need to succeed in order to keep our democracy. Listen, Joe, yep. thank you for the hour. Thank you, my friend. It's always good to see you. Your, you know, insight is, it's, it's so, it's just invaluable, right? And I hope that everybody joins and I hope that we all get together really, really soon after you put out one of these, you know, movement, um, you know, notices. And that way we can really show the Supreme Court. We can show even the Democrats, we could show Biden that they need to start punching back and really, really hard. So let me thank you again for your time, Joe. And I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you very soon. Thanks, Michael. And I just want to put a plug in for my own podcast, That Trippy Show. You can, I hope some of your listeners will give, give us a listen when, when you get a chance. Thank you. Absolutely. Be well, Joe. And now for today's mea culpa. Planned Parenthood has this bumper sticker I've been seeing around that reads, We won't go back. And really, why would we want to? I have no clue why Republicans are always trying to send us back to the 50s or the landing at Plymouth Rock or just anywhere back in time. The future used to look so bright, but they stole a woman's right to choose. And now, like it or not, we are going backwards. A good way to measure the overall health of a country is to check the quality of their healthcare system. Ours has many problems, but one that's just a real head-scratcher is maternal mortality. Did you know we have the highest maternal mortality rate of any country in the developed world? In fact, every other country in the developed world has declining maternal mortality rates. So why not us? Why? It's complicated, but here's part of the problem. American hospitals in general value the life of the child more than the mother. Women all over the country do not have access to proper healthcare services, let alone prenatal care. So women in those circumstances are forced to make things up as they go along. Not so strangely, where there is no healthcare, there's often not so much education either. 
and very few social services. So women in those circumstances are managing their pregnancies without much information of care. I'm not sure how they're doing it, but maybe they're looking it up on just like how to give birth at home on the internet. So good luck to that ladies, you're on your own. But really significant are the racial inequities that exist in pregnancy care. Black women experience three to four times higher rates of pregnancy related deaths than white women do. So the old all lives matter shit doesn't hold up where women's health care is concerned because clearly white women matter more than black women and babies matter more than all their mothers because I don't know who the fuck knows. But if you don't think that racism is a problem in America, try being black, poor and pregnant. And guess what? A shit ton of hospitals is simply unprepared for maternal emergencies. 44% of the money granted to hospitals for maternity care does not go towards the health of the mother, but to complications with the baby at the time of birth. Complication rates have been on a steady incline for years, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But stuff we better start thinking about since there are going to be so, so, so many more children born under less than ideal circumstances. And in the very near future. Thanks to the end of Roe, we are in uncharted territory. Stupidly, needlessly, but here we are. This week, Republicans made a real spectacle of themselves when they denied that a 10-year-old who had left her red state to abort a rapist baby was real. They said it was a lie, that we were trying to make a point. But they made the point for us. Their denial is the fucking problem. Deny a woman access to proper prenatal care and she might die. Deny a 10-year-old the right to an abortion and she will want to die. A 10-year-old can't work, so how does she pay for her baby? And who watches the baby while she attends elementary school? And when does this situation become a blessing? I'm going to say pretty much never. But that is what right to life is wished for, and now this is what we've got. You think they would have worked out the kinks before they pulled the plug, but they don't give a fucking damn about anything. It's not about babies and mothers, it's about control over women. Well, they can go fuck themselves, and we need to call, write, email, just find a way to communicate with your state representatives. Protest, and don't stop till this travesty is over. And support Planned Parenthood. No, I mean, I mean it, seriously, support Planned Parenthood. Otherwise, we're going to never get out of this. We won't go back. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa. Nothing but the truth.